Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. A group of community leaders gathered one Saturday morning in Coburg to hear a speaker from Ireland talk about creating a sustainable community. Cormac Russell is a highly regarded expert in helping organizations and citizens build stronger communities. Russell has given multiple TED Talks and is recognized around the world within the ranks of bureaucracies, politics, and citizen groups. Representatives from Northumberland County, Northumberland Hills Hospital, churches, social agencies, and chambers of commerce, plus activists, listened intently to his message. In this interview, Russell and his Canadian colleague, John Massimi, will share what they said at the event. In light of the recent number of public meetings where residents are expressing their frustrations, Russell's words are even more poignant. I am honoured to welcome Cormac Russell, an author and much sought after speaker. He is the founding director of Nurture Development and a facilitator at a workshop held in Coburg recently. He is from Ireland. Along with him is John Massimi. He is a Canadian who is also with Nurture Development and an associate. Gentlemen, welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you for having us, Robert. Cormac, I'd like to start with you. What? brought you to Coburg recently? Well, the reason we come anywhere, but particularly to Coburg, Coburg uh, and to Port Hope was because we were invited. Uh, we were invited by David Sheffield. And um, I suppose in a sense, that's personal. So his work and the work of the folks that he is trying to build community with from the edge, particularly around folks that uh, are living with uh, homelessness, it really inspires me and uh, inspires John. So when he invited us to come along and share an approach called acid-based community development, which is the approach they use, we couldn't refuse. So that that really is the the essence of why we were there. We wanted to share and cheer on really uh, the good work he's doing, but also demystify so others could use the methodology and hopefully make the place a better and even better place than it is. This asset-based management, could you explain what that is and what it means? I I think the simplest way to talk about asset-based community development is to say two things. One is is that the starting point is with what's strong in communities, not with what's wrong in communities. So by that, I mean starting with the the contributions of the local people in the community, uh, their clubs, their groups, their associations, but also recognizing that as well as the strength of people, there are other strengths, the strengths potentially of the economy, if you organize it well, the strengths of the local place itself, the the beauty, 
but also even you know it's important to recognize sometimes that uh, places may not always look beautiful but that the built and natural environment can offer all kinds of of strengths we don't see the second is is it's local so it's very much thinking about small bounded local places the estate the village the block that's the level at which we think about change so asset-based community development briefly in historical terms really came into its own around the early 90s following a four-year piece of research by two professors out of Northwestern University, John McKnight and Jody Kretzman, who spent four years in 300 neighborhoods and really trying to understand, this was in Canada and the US, trying to understand what happens when communities join together and become powerful. And they wrote a book uh, which essentially describes that approach and that approach is asset-based community development. So that's the that's the, the I suppose the Reader's Digest version. Can you describe what took place during your time in Coburg? Well, it's interesting because uh, Robert, before I before I came out, I uh, using the benefit of Zoom, zoomed into one or two of the conferences that David Sheffield and uh, his colleagues had convened. Um, quite, quite creative, quite eclectic, uh, quite, you know, on the fringe kind of stuff in a sense of they're really trying to bring community together. And um, so I had met some of them virtually and uh, it was pretty clear to me through the virtual engagements that um, they were really reaching out to some folks who were very much marginalized and at the edge, but were doing it in a very, I suppose, powerful way in the sense that they weren't just treating them as needy and as a problem to be fixed, but they were treating them as neighbors and uh, as people who have a contribution to be received. So really when I came in the room, it kind of felt like the conversation had warmed up considerably before I arrived. And largely when I was there last summer, the purpose of the conversation was a little bit beyond what I had done virtually. So I think virtually what I had been doing was speaking to David, his team, and to the folks that they were serving in the community, very grassroots. I think the purpose, and you were there as well, Robert, which was wonderful, representing the media, but I think the purpose was to, to have what you might call all the various states of the county. So we had people from media, but we also had some business people we had a lot of not-for-profits, a lot of churches. We had representatives from the county council, uh, so from the municipalities at, at all the various tiers of government. And um, I think in having that wide an audience, what we were really trying to think about is what would happen if we proliferated work similar to the work that uh, Greenwood uh, Coalition are doing and David Sheffield, you know, in, the, in, in his leadership with his team are doing. What might happen if there was more of that, if the council worked that way, for example? So some of the conversations, I think, were on the day, very progressive um, people were acknowledging where it isn't being done, but also looking for us to acknowledge where it is being done and where opportunities exist to build community and to really put them in the driving state of change. When you were giving your presentation, you talked about people on the fringes, like those who don't always fit into our world. 
And I'm he thinking here about people who are economically disadvantaged, those facing mental health challenges, in general, those who, if you'll forgive the phrase, are not like us. Can you uh, explain to the listeners how that works and what you're trying to achieve when you talk about that? You know, one of the things I was trying to convey and what I was sharing was that um, we all have lenses through which we see people and see ourselves, um, see the world. and without making any judgment, I think one of, one of the things we can say is that sometimes we look at people, particularly if they're not like us and you know they seem, seem rather different, uh, we look at them through the, the lens of deficits, so we see their problems, what appears to be the issue. Um, and we label them uh, in many respects, understandably, because we're trying to get a sense of who will with. But in the process of labeling somebody, uh, we find it very hard to see that there are also people with strengths, with contributions, with a story to tell. And I suppose what I'm, what I'm really conveying when I speak at events like that is that you're going to get far more mileage in creating a better society for yourself and them if you see them as neighbor and as somebody with a contribution to make as opposed to the other <laughs> and out to get you. Uh, so uh, I think it's as simple as that. It's, it's, it, it really is a lens, you know, our, our map is not the territory. And if we see you know, everybody knows this, by the way, whether you're on the left or the right or anywhere in between. If you grow up and your father tells you every day of the week you're no damn good, you internalize that. And in the same way, if people are going around talking about folks on the margins as though they're no damn good, they'll probably, you know, fulfill that prophecy in some shape or form. So the work, I think, is to shift from seeing people in those deficiency terms and damaged terms to seeing them in terms of what they can actually contribute and making the message very clear that they're needed, that uh, they have a contribution to make. And I think, I think that's a far more fetching invitation into community life than uh, you're broken, but we're going to punish you or fix you, or indeed, you know, you're broken and we're going to rescue you because you can't do it yourself and you have no contribution to make. So it's that piece of you don't lift people up by putting them down. I think John is back with us now. Okay, before I bring John into the uh, conversation, there is often fear and uncertainty when we are engaging people who are not like us. This is especially true when there are people who live lives that are far outside our comfort zone. How do people walk across the bridge to connect with strangers or people who are very different than us in order to build communities? It's a great question. And my sense of it is, is that, you know, what COVID thought us is we should try and uh, connect with our neighbors before we need them. So I would start way, way back. If you're feeling nervous or fearful of those that seem very, very distant from your experience of life, but start, making connections with those I mean, one of the ironies Robert is, is that so many people aren't even relating to their neighbors um, that the fear is so deep in some places that the idea of even connecting people who look like you and you're not afraid of seems a fearful thing to do so I think starting by actually forming connections where we live get to know three people 
becomes much easier when those three people get to know each other and associate with each other and do things together to make the street better, whatever it might be. When they are in solidarity with others, the conversation around what do we do about the stranger at the edge becomes a much easier conversation to have. So I think that don't neighbor alone, <laughs> particularly when you're reaching to the edge, right? Some John, people are great. John John is gifted uh, around reaching to the edge, so well, I'll be quiet uh, and let him. I, I want to ask him a specific question uh, on mm. this, uh, John. We often think of community building as something that comes out of a reaction to what is going on around us. Taxpayer groups are formed when people are upset with about their taxes. A, a residence group is formed when they don't want something to happen in their neighborhood. What is the difference between that and what you and Cormac are talking about? Well, I, I think um, if you're looking at the, the, the political scene, typically we're not simply just gathering around uh, a problem and gather to complain, right? A, a, even when we're we're tackling issues as you're you're, you're mentioning, um, even the structure of the conversation is typically the person responsible at the front of the room, and everyone gathers to complain and outsources their power to the individual at the front of the room or the organization, uh, and saying the solution is found in a policy, a procedure, uh, a bylaw. What we're looking at is uh, re relocating the power to the, the people that are are gathered in the room. So in 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 the in in the community, the power is not outsourced, but is it, we recognize the power of of community and bring people together. It's not to say there isn't problems in the community. That's we're not getting at that. Um, we're saying how do we begin to address it? It's through the gifts, skills, interests, passions of those that that are gathered. Uh, or that we we encounter and and bring alongside, and we begin to uh, address things from a position of strength, not deficit. And I think um, when we're in you know in, within the political realm, uh, I, I ran for for councillor last year, and I'm, I got a, a sense of uh, how we deal thing, with things politically. Um, this is this is completely different. It's saying we we have a voice, we have skills, we're grounded in our community, and how can we come together to make where we live uh, a better place? I, I want you both to answer this question. I'll start with you, John, and then I'll come to you, Cormac. There is a tendency when we become active in a community that we have a circle of people that we connect with. What that can lead to is, is an us and them mentality. We, we see this so often in Northumberland. John, how do we move past this? Well, I, I think naturally we, we connect with people that we have affinities with. Um, and I, I think how I've navigated that space is uh, recognizing who's not there and I think there's some intentionality. It's very easy to get together with a group of friends, have a party or do things in your neighborhood. But I think here is the drive. Who's not here? Whose gifts are we missing? Who's, who is not invited to the party? And there's intentionality in this philosophy and method. Um, so I, I, I guess pre-show, I mentioned to you that I, I worked in Coburg and we worked with, uh, with young people. And uh, one of the things that uh, presented itself was there were many students in the area that were in special education classes. 
but none of them were tied to youth groups. And we decided what is a way to connect those in the community that are within these special education classes to other youth? And how can we begin to reduce those barriers? So the way we did it was through art. We invited students together to create together and build relationships together. So we were trying to bring people in with a common interest. Um, so I think it, it, it's also as a group, as, as you come together, recognizing um, and, and being intentional. Um, and I know not to put words in Cormac's mouth, but I, uh, asking questions is important. And that's a question that uh, I like to ask groups is who isn't here that we need to invite? In this initiative, who's the one that's most affected that needs to, whose voice needs to be centered here? Right. So it, there's deep reflection in this practice. It's not just coming together and and uh, having a party, which is p- part of it that does happen. But it is recognizing the gifts, who's not there, and uh, looking for the stranger that's at the edge. Armak, how do you answer that dilemma of us and them? Yeah, and I think that, well, there's a range of things there building on a said which is so important around every group asking how they themselves are welcoming uh, a stranger at the edge but I think just more structurally as well you have to reflect deeply on the current state of play in an awful lot of counties and municipalities and you know various various uh, skills at which we gather and build community and even at, at the level of town or neighborhood we have a lot of residence associations which probably are of a certain age group, probably have been in that residence association for a long time, and other forms of representative democracy like committees and whatnot. I think a lot of people see those as quite stale and as quite non-inclusive. I don't want to be disrespectful of what they do because actually they're showing up and they're making a contribution, and I think we should honour that. And often they will ask, how do we get more people involved? Because they feel the crushing burden of the responsibility of the whole falling on the field. Standing, I think it's also important that they recognize they need to step back and make space for other ways that we can organize ourselves as communities. So let me speak briefly about possibility aside from committees or you know the more formal structures, which are useful to a point. But we're using them or overusing them to do an awful lot of things they were never designed to do, like participation, for example. They're good at representation to a point, although even there I would question how representative many of them are. But if you want people to participate in community life and you want them to be able to participate in ways that are cooperative, peace-building, collaborative, and actually also go across maybe traditional fault lines, then you need new ways of building community, it's quite simple. So I think beginning to think about things like building an association of association neighborhood level, beginning to focus a little bit more on connectors, less on traditional leaders. Leaders are important too, but let's look for the connectors, the relationship builders, the peace builders, who are able to span across associations. So as well as following their single track issue, they can talk to people they don't agree with. They can link to other associations. Now, what's possible here, Robert, is you could, in a, in a neighbor, 
effect in terms. You could have associations of associations. What do I mean by that? I mean, different clubs and groups that traditionally do not work together, coming together maybe once a quarter, having a, a party, having fun, but also being facilitated in really creative ways to talk about what it is they can do together that they can't do alone. So what that does is it says that we as a collective of thousands rather than, you know, I vote every three years or every five years, hand my power over to another person and they do their, they do my politics for me. It says we're going to find ways of organizing that enable us to make contributions, enable us to share our gifts. That won't just happen. That's going to take a lot of very skilled craft, which we call community building. So just put that together very quickly. If you've got a community builder in each neighborhood who knows how to help people in the neighborhood, build associations of associations, who knows how to work with individual groups so they can welcome the stranger, and who knows how to move people past expressing opinions about what other people ought to do to talking about what they're prepared to commit to to build a better town, then you get better democracy. When you're talking, it made me immediately think about a recent meeting in a nearby township within Northumberland where the local police were called in to empty the council chambers and the meeting was ended because people became so rowdy and members of the council and public felt things got out of control. When you hear about instances like this, Cormac, how do you respond? And then I'll ask Jonathan. One of the things that is problematic, I think, Robert, about politics that has become partisan is that it divides us, it separates us, and largely it inflames what I would describe as trauma. So you get quite a lot of trauma responses and quite a lot of toxic um, reactions, which take, they just, they, they take us nowhere useful. Um, so it's kind of, it's inevitable to an extent if people aren't in a psychologically safe environment where they're in a position, not alone to make representation of their own best voice, but also have a real sense that they have mandates and constituencies that they're serving and they're accountable to. I think it's very hard to, once you lose the run of yourself, to pull it back. It's much, much easier in my mind if you are in an environment where culturally you know you're answerable for your behavior and how you conduct yourself, not to your party or not to a partisan ideology, but to local people you have to look in the eye of tomorrow morning. And in a sense, I think part of the difficulty is, so many of the conversations are happening in the abstract. They're very ideological, they're very emotive, but they're not actually, you know, they're not creating waves that are landing on the shores of any human being's lives. And that is the issue. They're, they're just abstract in my mind. A lot of what we're trying to get to here is if you and your neighbor could join together with three other people on your street to do something, what would you love to do? Next question, what are your elected members? What are your municipality? What are your public servants doing to enable that? That's where we have to start. Unfortunately, at the moment, I would say right up the chain of command most people, including citizens, cannot answer that line of questions. And that means we're hollowing out 
the very centre of democracy. When you do that, well, it's only a question of time before an argument starts. Jonathan, uh, I'll put it to you a little differently, and, and maybe you can speak to this directly. There is a lot of talk about connections and the importance of everyday people, citizens, if you like, coming together to solve some of the most pressing issues in our community and our world, just as Cormac described. Yet as we have watched in the past 18 months locally, it has, seems almost impossible to get various groups to find common ground. I am thinking of a local examples where there are proposals to build some sleeping cabins. Uh, a group of residents uh, near the site fought back. The project was denied by the local council. Then there was a harm reduction effort to help local people who struggle with drug addiction. There is was a massive backlash where people became it became very personal and vitriolic. What is missing, John? Be uh, that gets us away from such polarization to your ideas around connectivity. Well, um, one of my former professors said, when we're looking at issues, let's look at it in grapes, not apples. Things come in clusters, not in singularities. And I think these issues are, are clusters. They're, they're, um, we, we, can, we can pick one thing and begin, and begin to work at it. And the issues that you mentioned are, are not unique to Northumberland County. They're being felt in, in other municipalities, even here where I am in Kitchener, where there was backlash around tent cities and, and uh, encampments and uh, how those that are precariously housed um, are being treated. And at, at the core of all this, um, the solutions are not just in policies or in council chambers. I think at, at the very basis, and this is something that comes out of ABCD, is it has to be deeply relational. How do we build relationships, not only with those involved with, within these solutions, but those that are affected by, by our interventions? And um, I worked at an organization here in Kitchener called the Working Center, and it is... Um, person-centered. We, we like to work with, with the individual to determine the course they would like to take um, and bringing that sense of, of agency and autonomy into these, into these discussions. And I think uh, what happens here is people um, uh, outsource that autonomy or, or pass the buck on to someone else. And what we're saying is, as communities, how do you come together and, and come with solutions that, that are relational. And a lot of these discussions, um, it's, it's even important how we structure these conversations. It's not just who's invited and the questions you ask, it's also where you have it, right? And a lot of the discussions we've had are, are around kitchen tables, in gymnasiums, church basements, um, even access to these conversations, uh, are, are very difficult. So if we want the issues to reside or be uh, addressed at city council in, in, in the chamber, in order for me to speak to that, I have to have a delegation and there's greater barriers to even enter into the conversation. And I think here we're bringing the conversation to the streets, our streets, and beginning to discuss things with our neighbors. And what I've learned through the 10 cities here in, in Kitchener, these aren't individuals that are problems to be solved. They're human beings and they're our neighbors. And how do we show hospitality? 
and 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 welcome them into conversations. Um, and I know we were talking about this when when we were in uh, Coburg, and how are we slowly invited as guests into their reality? We don't just enter in and say, "Hey, we're we're going to take control of this. We have also all the solutions." It's no. Let, how do we build something? together what do you have to offer what do we have to offer and how can we uh, begin to to make solutions and out of that um within within kitchener and again that's my context uh there has been some really creative ways of housing people and there has been support and and not to say that there isn't naysayers <laughs> uh there will be there will be those that will, will disagree but at its core, it began with relationships and respecting others uh, and seeing each other as, as, as human beings. Um, yeah, so that's just at its core. It's very complex, right? I didn't. I, I, I only picked a couple of grapes there. I didn't go for all of them. But there, if we begin in relationship with each other and begin to to structure our belonging and, and the, the types of conversations we're having, I think. Uh, that's that's where where we would begin in, in with asset based community development. In listening to both of you talk, uh, it sounds like you're arguing for a shift from a representative style of democracy to more of a participatory style of democracy. Now, Cormac, there might be those who say, "Look, there are people with power and wealth who are not going to sit back and simply." roll over and hand control to others. And we see this in our community all the time. I have already given some examples of the pushback, but I think there, even on a larger scale, is why is anyone who is in a position of power going to want to give any of it up so that the kinds of things that you talk about, both of you talk about, can actually take place? Yeah, well, power is interesting in a sense. I mean, one one question might be who has it and how can we get it? The other might be, well, we all have it. How can we connect it? Um, so I suppose you got to make a choice on that one. I, I, I happen to believe power is pretty infinite. Um, and if we may have small pieces of it. So the question might be, if you don't have money power and you don't have status power, how can you influence change? Um, and most of your listeners may be in that camp and may find that question a little bit more fetching. Um, and I think you do that by building relationships at that kind of flat level, the level that you're at. Um, so one of the difficulties with uh, worries and dilemmas and challenges is, you know, we, we respond really well to floods as human beings, to crisis. We kind of muster in together. We have a common fault. But it's, you know, it's amoral, it's, you know, like COVID. But I think when we get stressed or we get frightened by others, maybe that we see as kind of encroaching, we need to be able to weather that storm collectively with other people. Otherwise, we go inside ourselves and all kinds of funny um, fears start to surface. So I think a big, big part of what we're talking about in terms of power is to recognize the power there is in connecting at the very local level. Um, it's simple, really, in a sense of it's the kind of power that says, hey, we're all struggling financially in this neighborhood. But if we organized our money in a certain way, we could have a fleet of electric vehicles, which would mean that not alone would we not need a second car, but we wouldn't even need a first. 
because we could actually organize to share those uh, vehicles to take a lot of financial pressure off. Now, you can make a choice in life, and lots of people do, that we're going to try and reform the utility industry that are price gouging and creating dirty energy for us. Or we can do what some neighborhoods in, you know, the likes of the Netherlands are doing, where they're repatriating old windmills and creating their own energy. You see, my point is that power can be over there and we can try and get it. And power can be within us and around us and we can try and discover, connect and mobilize it. It's a choice. And uh, I find the option of that more flat, horizontal kind of piece more realistic, actually. I, I feel like I'm somebody who could do something about that, that four or five of my neighbors could get together. We could begin to respond. That's what we saw in COVID. So the question is, how do we precipitate that kind of power? And the answer in part is, we can do that, you could do that, your county could do that in much the same way as we've seen in Seattle. You can do that not alone by organizing the way we've talked about, but you could reorganize your councils. You could reorganize your county council so that it has a department of neighborhoods, for example. You could introduce a whole new way of doing funding like match funds. So you get rid of the complexity, the bureaucracy and the competition that communities are having to enter into. You could then begin to actually say, let's find new ways of gathering. The police force in the county could do that as well. So every time an older person complains about the behavior of young people, the police force can respond by saying, let's convene a peace circle of the complainees and the complainants and guarantee they'll be safe. And we will work a way out that these people will actually coexist together because that's going to mean that we get 10 less calls and they're going to be happier. These are the possibilities, and they're not wild ideas. We are seeing those ideas being implemented. In fact, in the namesake, Northumberland uh, County in the UK, they're doing this. The fire department have redesigned the way they train their staff. So their staff are trained as community builders because there's magic. I don't know if this is true in Canada, but in the UK, when people see the emblem of a fire officer that carries huge, huge trust. That's a symbol of trust. It's a symbol of safety. And those guys can get and, and ladies uh, can get into houses and can build trust like you would not believe. So there's lots of opportunities here, Robert, but there has to be the political will at all levels, not just at the neighborhood level. You are talking about things to do. So to wrap things up, if someone is listening today and they want to engage in some of these ideas you've spoken about to bring change in their community, what can they do? Well, I would say the first thing is to start with what's already going well. So here you have the uh, Greenwood Coalition who are modeling a way of doing this. John, who's a mentor to the Greenwood Coalition, is available to talk with people and mentor other people and, you know, if, if that's something people want to do, they can reach out and begin to do some intentional work with him. But there's there's other things I think that uh, I would suggest can be done. People who may be listening, who may be in organizations that work with communities, you begin to think about changing the way you work with communities. So instead of mapping them by their deficiencies, you can actually start having conversations with them 
about their strengths and their assets. And I think that's a really, really important shift to shift from. This is one of the things we heard on Saturday morning, the number of organizations that are engaging with communities and their starting point is a needs assessment. What's broken? What's pathological? What's wrong? Is it any wonder that people are riled up? Hardly ever is anybody asked what's strong, what's good, what are your priorities, what do you care about, and what would you get up and do something about? Change the conversation. That's the starting point. Cormac Russell, John Misamimi, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. That was Cormac Russell, an author and the founding director of Nurture Development, and John Misimi, Russell's Canadian associate. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.